You're listening to Supervision with a Vision, where we discuss all things supervision. I'm your host, Sarah, professional counselor, marriage and family therapist, play therapist, eating disorder specialist, and cookie lover, with my co-host, Heather, marriage and family therapist, certified together in Texas counselor, a Texas transplant from California, and outdoor adventurer. Hi, welcome to Supervision with a Vision. Today, Heather and I are talking about literature and counseling. This week, we read Loving What You Sting in Literature and in Therapy, published in Counseling Today, 2021. Heather, what are some of your favorite books and what are some of the books on your bookshelf right now? Right now, I'm reading one that is very like not fun or it's more neurobiology stuff, but Mm -hmm. it's called The Brain is Always Listening. Oh, okay. By Dr. Amen. And it's a worthy read. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. It has Mm -hmm. some good concepts. I'm actually using it in supervision just because it's one of the new trend books that are out that I think sometimes it's important to have the pulse of maybe what your clients are going to pick up Mm -hmm. as a read. Mm -hmm. Um, But this one's written a little more clinical than that. It it would be hard for just anybody that doesn't have psychology background to pick up. So it's kind of dense. Yeah. It's not your beach read. No, it's definitely not my beach. But you're finding it useful. Right. Or interesting. Right. And it has some fun little like concepts that you could easily apply with clients or even with their supervisees. Hmm. That does sound like a good book to read with a supervisee. Yeah. Maybe not with a client. No, or necessarily. Yeah. I feel like I'm always midstream with, I don't know, three or four books Mm -hmm. and the same. None of them are totally for fun. Right. What am I reading? The Addictions Loop. Okay. I haven't read that one. Um, I actually, someone suggested it on a Facebook group and it's interesting. I'm enjoying it. It's a new perspective on addiction and the systemic relationship pieces that go with that. So it's interesting. I'm reading a couple of business management kind of books, like one's called Traction and one I think is an old standby, the four, four directives of something, Stephen Covey. Okay. And I'm rereading intuitive eating with one of my supervisees or a couple of my supervisees. So all kind of like more clinical based, not so much. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Which is maybe why I switch back from one night. I'll read a couple chapters in one book and then Mm -hmm. the next night I'll switch and do a couple chapters in one of the others. I don't know if this is, if this works for you or not, but often when I find myself in the middle of a couple of different books at a time, but I often, it depends almost like on my mood. Yes. If I can handle that for today, I'll read that. But yeah. if I can't, then I need something lighter yeah. or something. You know. you know, well, maybe I'm juggling too many books at the same time. <laughs> but I just realized I'm also, I I do have a for fun book. It's called Blood and Thunder. Okay. And my dad suggested it. And I don't know if he actually suggested it. He just told me he was reading it and mm-hmm. I started, I picked it up. Right. It's really kind of interesting. It's historical fiction. Mm-hmm. And so there are a good amount of pieces that are factual, okay. like a story woven in. And it's about the American, not the American revolution, but the Mexican Indian wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right. some of it's just so silly and right. outlandish and other parts incorporate actual pieces right. of fact yeah. or um, something that at least they spun off of fact. Right. right. So it's fun and interesting, but also something very different than the other things right. I'm reading. So kind of lighthearted. Mm-hmm. I right. find that when I get into a book, like one of them that currently I'm carrying around with me, I tend to find times to read it. Mm-hmm. And that usually means I'm much more into it than if it just sits next to my bed. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, uh, it's been there three months and I haven't touched it. Uh, it's getting dusty. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> 
What about Heather thinking back to other phases of life or times in your life? What are some other books that were just really important or meant something to you at the time? I read a book probably when I was, I'm guessing here, maybe between 10 and 12, somewhere Mm -hmm. in that. I was still in elementary school. Mm -hmm. It was called Island of the Blue Dolphin. And I, it was the first book that I can remember reading that was like more of a novel type book, not so much just a fun Judy Bloom chapter book, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. much more of like a, and I so, so, so just related to the main character and like thought it was so awesome that she was close to my age and she was doing all these really cool, fun things and growing up on an island with her village. And I just uh-huh. became immersed almost in like the fairy tale of it, Yeah, even though it was, again, based historically, lightly, loosely uh-huh. Uh-huh. on things, but it had an impact. I I probably have read that book maybe five times. Oh, how fun. You own a copy? Still? I own a copy of it. Yeah. <laughs> have the kids read it or have you read it? To um, them? The boys have heard it. I've read it to them when they were younger mm-hmm. and I don't know if Charlotte ever finished it, but it was not her pace. She didn't mm. like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I... What would I think of a book that was impactful? I think all of the books that I read as a younger kid that I felt were impactful were really thoughtful. Mm-hmm. And in some way, I identified with the character. I remember reading The Giver. Oh, yeah. And I really identifying with the main character. Mm-hmm. And th- now looking back and thinking about that, I thought, well, of course, I was going to become a counselor. Right. Why didn't only a- yeah? Why didn't someone just tell me right then in fourth grade? Right. So you're a counselor. Right. You've been um, matched. <laughs> right. Forward. Right. Um, but I, there were, I think, a lot of books with a similar kind of the pearl. Okay. I think I read that in ninth grade. Uh-huh. It was an assigned book, and everyone else in my class was like, "Dumb." Right. Hate this. Yeah. Ew. And the, maybe the only reason they liked it was because it was short. Mm-hmm. But other than that. Right. Okay. Finished. Moved on. Next book. But I liked it and hung on to that, my mm-hmm. copy of that for a long time. But all of the ones that I thought were like, oh, I like this. Mm-hmm. I get this. I think before we started recording, I said something about Asher Love. Yes. Same. Th- I mm-hmm. thought like that kid, that kid's me, which right. is so ironic because it was what? I can't remember if it was based in the 40s or well, something like but, that. But I mean, <laughs> and he's a boy mm-hmm. and lives in New York and is Jewish. And I right. mean, You're what like- about that is me? But that kid was me. Something that I just really, part of that somehow I identified with. Right. I think when you get immersed in a story like that and you feel, especially depending on the phase of your life, right? We're talking mm-hmm. younger elementary school kiddos. But when you can attach yourself to a character like that, it almost allows this like deeper level of thinking mm-hmm. that I think often if kids don't find that love or find that book to immerse themselves in, it takes them longer and longer to enjoy reading, mm-hmm. to make it something, I mean, I, I know you and I have talked about this before, but like, I loved reading just because I enjoyed reading. Generally speaking, there was lots of times in my life where I was waiting on a parent or waiting on something Mm -hmm. else, my sister or something to happen where reading killed time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I no one told me to do this, but it makes me think of just enjoying reading Mm -hmm. in fourth grade. I think I must have I must have had free time because I was finishing my work quickly. Okay. And the free time, you could choose one of two things. You could go to the reading corner or do something else. I don't know what the other thing was. I didn't <laughs> it was not that. important. <laughs> right. I always chose the reading corner. And she had a little collection of whatever, right? right? I probably had read all those. I was reading the thesaurus. 
In the reading corner. In the reading corner, right. right. Mm -hmm. That's the thing I chose. No one ever suggested that or told me to do that. I just started doing that. You were beefing up your SAT scores. Who knew it? (laughs) No one even, yeah. What about, so thinking about just being a reader and enjoying reading, how do you think that started for you? When do you think you became a reader and really enjoyed it? I think I loved stories at very young age. Mm -hmm. And so I think that when I finally figured out that I could read like on mm-hmm. my own without mm-hmm. having to have my parents read to me or something, I think it was such a like almost freedom mm-hmm. that it was like, oh, I could keep reading. And then I do remember discovering that the same person wrote another book with the same characters. I don't even remember what it was, but <laughs> like, I remember thinking that's yeah. amazing. Like, mm-hmm. like Amelia Bedelia, right. there's thousands right. of these. I didn't yeah. know. So yeah. I think that, I think remembering those kind of like connections for me made mm-hmm. it, it just increased the like, Okay, get going, mm-hmm. like get reading. I, I think they were important in our house. We always had books around. We always mm-hmm. had, I think both my parents read. Mm-hmm. Like that was I, m- maybe modeled. Mm-hmm. I can remember lots of people reading to me and they were fun occasions. Right. Like if I went somewhere with my grandmother, she would bring some books and mm-hmm. read, like picture books or we right. even, she had books on cassette tape yes. <laughs> um, that we would listen to on the car if mm-hmm. we went on a long drive. But yeah, I can remember being really young and having books that were my favorite or I can second or first or second grade little prizes or contests that my teacher created. And the rewards could be things like squishy balls or I don't know, puzzle, uh, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. gimmicky non expensive thing that she could give us. And I would always pick the book. That's awesome. But I think as you're talking, I was like, Oh, I remember this now. I got a note. I taught preschool while I was in college Mm -hmm. and I got a note from one of the kids. This is like many years later. Actually, it was sent to my parents' house. That's how old it was that Mm -hmm. they like looked up what my name was then and found my parents. But it was about being so thankful that every day at rest time, they had an hour and a half. They were supposed to lay down. Most of them fell asleep, but some of them didn't. And so we would just play T- cassette tapes actually because right. uh-huh. they were what we could afford it was cheaper to buy a cassette tape than a cd yeah. of like stories over mm-hmm. and over again mm-hmm. and this boy tyler wrote to me and said i'm so glad you did that because you kept my mind like focused and i was a kid that struggled with adhd before it had a label and like i mm-hmm. could always be good in your class because of it and now i do it to help me study i have background you know he's like i remembered that i could How be cool. calm and so i was yeah. like i was doing that because i loved the stories like yeah i loved hearing whatever charlotte's web or you know something yeah. like that was playing more for the teachers not to be bored as we did bulletin boards. Yeah. (laughs) It's like something to listen to. Right. Be still, keep quiet. Let me finish this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do that sometimes now in my sessions with clients. I have a good friend that's a librarian. Oh, nice. Uh, She specifically focuses on young adult Mm -hmm. or adolescents. And if I have a client that loves reading, but maybe has run out of the next, you know, Mm -hmm. they finished the series or they don't know the next author to check out. I'll, I will ask them, well, who have you read that you really like? And then I'll ask my librarian friend. Right. Who what's a good, ne- yeah. What's a good next one for the, a kid that likes this? And she always comes up with really great yeah. suggestions. And maybe in the same way that you're, t- you and I are talking about it, that when you really connect with a character, it makes you think deeper, feel right. something mm-hmm. else. That That's a fun way to connect with a young client mm-hmm. that, to me. Right. Especially if they already right. love reading. Right. If they, if I can go, oh, I get you because mm-hmm. I know that you like this author and I just suggested this one mm-hmm. and it's a good match. You understand me. Right. You, you get, get me. me. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Heather, what would, so we talked about books as a kid, books that we've appreciated 
recently. What about, do you have any counseling specific books that maybe in school or since school you felt were impactful on your counseling? Mm -hmm. I read one a long time ago. I can't even remember how long ago, but I still refer to it and actually have encouraged even not necessarily for clients to read, but I've had clients' parents read it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called What Made Maddie Run. It's a story of just a girl about that was into track and soccer and different things and her path to go to college and what happened in her life. But the interesting impactful part is it helps parents sometimes understand the story behind depression or like how you can think that this person's super Mm. successful. Yeah. And it doesn't always look like what you think it looks like. Right. Hmm. So yeah, I I recommend that to pretty much every supervisee. I think it's a great, uh, it's a quick read Mm -hmm. and it it is very storytelling. You're reading kind of different points of views. Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't know, have I told you about before? I cannot think of the title right now, but Terry Cotman is uh, a founder or the founder of Adlerian Play mm-hmm, Therapy. Mm-hmm. And she's written lots of books. Uh, but her first book, it may be Play Therapy or In Play Therapy or something. Right. Or, so, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But her first book, the very first chapter describes her process in learning to be a counselor and a play therapist. Mm-hmm. And I probably appreciate the rest of the book, but I don't remember it. But right. I remember that first chapter right. word for word. So you're like, please read chapter one. Right. <laughs> And my, and in my version, chapter one, all the pages are just falling out because mm-hmm. that's the pay. That's, mm-hmm. the, I always go back to that. But I love it because it doesn't apply just to play therapist or just to Adlerian play therapist. Mm-hmm. It, I think it's a lesson in and a personal example that you find yourself in therapy. Right. And when you know what you are like, you as a person are like mm-hmm. as a counselor in therapy, then you're your best counselor. Right. Then you're at your apex. Right. Yeah. That she, And the story is that she tried to model herself after her teachers and her professors and the example that she was given. And she felt like it was a good start and she learned a lot, but it also felt like not quite Mm -hmm. her. Mm -hmm. And the more she allowed herself to go, heck, I got to, I had to do it the Terry way. Right. That it felt more genuine and more purposeful for her and felt like it, she saw bigger change in kids when she was doing it that way. So that, that one is one I always refer back to. Have I told you about the developing counselor? Yes, I think so. I think you know. It's like a textbook right. thing. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, it's not like it is mm-hmm. a text. It's like researchy and dense and a textbook. But the idea, the main gist of it is that someone did a lot of research, qualitative research mm-hmm. on big samples of counselors. And they they interviewed counselors one year out of school, five to seven years out of school, and 30 plus years out of okay. school. And all of these people were still practicing counselors. And they asked questions like, what's the thing that's hard? What's the thing you enjoy? Mm-hmm. Why do you continue to right. be a counselor? And they picked those specific time periods because they saw that those were times where counselors were doing a lot of changing. Mm-hmm. And the first time I read it was for school. Of course. <laughs> right. And I don't remember, you know, like maybe right. the first three chapters were assigned or something. But I read, I got the gist of it and in- decided for mm-hmm. Don't have time. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to read the part I want to read, which is the end. I'm mm-hmm. going to read the last couple of mm-hmm. chapters, which have to do with the counselors that were 30 plus. Right. All of it was eventually I read the whole thing, but all of it was really useful. Mm-hmm. I think helped me to think about me as a counselor, helps me to think about my supervisees as right. counselors and what they're going through and like their path mm-hmm. learning. I thought who makes, who creates research that makes people cry, but right. <laughs> um, 
this last chapter was about the 30 plus mm-hmm. years in counseling. And the things that they had to say were things like the suggestions that they made or recommendations they had for younger counselors was find your people, right? Go find the people that are your people who support you, who can listen, who can be a sounding board, mm-hmm. who know counseling. And those are your people. Go find, right. go create your tribe. And then those people talked about the people they'd found and created. And it was like so sweet. Like heartfelt. It was that some of them described that they'd created a little group of people and that they'd been counselors for so long that their friends were passing away. Oh, wow. And that they would go to coffee every week with those friends when mm-hmm. they were alive. And so they continued that. Okay. And they would go to get coffee yeah. and they would case consult with their friend who was, was gone. Right. And they would go, I know, Sarah, I know what you would say right now. <laughs> I'm just not ready or give me a break. (laughs) This is a tough client. This client's always hard for me. Right. That they would still do that case conceptualization with their friends even years later. I hope Um, I have that 30 years in. Yeah. I mean, I want that. that. (laughs) Right. I can now when I walk by someone, an older person sitting drinking a cup of coffee by themselves, I'm going to think that's what you're doing right Right. now. (laughs) That's what you're doing. You're not really by yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Shh. I won't interrupt. (laughs) What else? Trying to think. Uh, Those two are are Mm -hmm. definitely books that I think about and refer back to. I have one that I read pretty early on. I think I was already done with school because it wasn't a school book. It was a friend Mm -hmm. that recommended it to me that was, he was a counselor and he recommended, he said, I think you'll love this. And I read it and I went, Oh, was that for me? Like, (laughs) is that about me? But it was the first Brene Brown book I read and it's the gift of imperfection. Uh And I went, Oh, um, um, wow. You know me better than I thought. Like that was very uncomfortable (laughs) for me, but I will say it is one of those that Brene, that was before Brene Brown was big or before anybody really knew who she was. Right. But I've since read it with supervisees for, or read experts of it Mm -hmm. for supervisees. And I do think it's still impactful about that whole, like that coming, overcoming that beginning new counselor imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. kind of feeling. So that one was very, I still use that one a lot or use pieces of it. A mm-hmm. lot. The last couple of books we described, are those books part of your reference list? So that's our next mm-hmm. question. What's mm-hmm. on your reference list? Yeah, I those, think so. Yeah. yeah. Any others that you think just a solid foundation of things that you what might suggest or recommend to somebody? Supervisees in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe I think, both clients I, and supervisees. Yeah. Well, and actually, so I have a few Gottman books. Like some of the older Gottman stuff. I know mm-hmm. that some of the newer stuff's out and he's revamped it to make it newer. Yes, but like yeah. the back to the seven principles. Yeah. Um, I like that those stuff. Kind of st- I like that stuff a lot. There's one, I'm going to forget who it's by. It's called The Marriage Crucible. Oh, I know it. Snark, I, can't, I can't remember the first name. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. But it's a really great one written a long time ago, mm-hmm. but like very scientific evidence kind of mm-hmm. stuff about mm-hmm. marriage and relationships. So I like that one. Yeah. I, yeah. I do reference Gottman a lot with clients and supervisees. Mm -hmm. I love it because it's just such a good foundational jumping off point. I've had supervisees who tell me, Oh gosh, I can't do a couples. Right. I'm like, well, what's keeping you Mm -hmm. or what would make you feel Mm -hmm. comfortable? And why don't we start with, right. Try read this and and see how it feels. And can you imagine yourself applying this? Right. I think it's a good starting point. I told you that I have this giant collection of play therapy books, some good and some not so good. Mm-hmm. And I've in the last couple of handful of years, weeded out the ones that I thought are kind of outdated now right? or that 
I don't know if I need to keep carrying this around. I could probably find examples of this online. Right. Like activity books mm-hmm. with activities. I'm not carrying those around anymore. Right. But I have saved all the books that are on the Association for Play Therapy recommendation mm-hmm. list or books that are involved in their trainings. And really they are it's a good foundation of books. Right. I, I don't necessarily use play therapy in each one of those models exactly, but right. I keep on hand Gary Landreth's Child Centered Play Therapy mm-hmm. book. Or uh, child parent relationship mm-hmm. training. Well, they're um, like good go tos. Right, they're like, good good foundation. Know. The Terry Cotman stuff. Mm-hmm. What else? Some of the other like group play therapy, advanced play therapy, foundations of play therapy. All, you know, and last year there was a compilation book, or maybe it's been four years now. A, a really nice compilation book. I think David Crenshaw was one of the editors, and Stuart and David Crenshaw probably. Mm-hmm. It's just titled Play Therapy. Really good mm-hmm. foundational. Stuck. Yeah. So I keep all of those and I'm happy to lend them out to supervisees. I use, what about the Brainwise Child? Oh, yeah. I love all those. Mm -hmm. Recommend those those. to keep that one around, as well as the other stuff you, Mm -hmm. you know, Dan Siegel's written. I like all sorts of Dan Siegel's stuff. What about related to Dan Siegel, Bonnie Badnock? Oh, yeah. I haven't done, I don't think I own those, Mm -hmm. but I think good recommendation. Yeah. What about Yalom? Yeah. Group stuff. We need group stuff on Yalom. Mm-hmm. I had one that, supervisees oh. that had to read it in school, the group, the original Yalom for group therapy or something. And I recommended another Yalom book. They went, please, no Yalom. It's so boring. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is better. I know which one you had to read in school. Yeah. But like, this is better Yalom. <laughs> I was going to say that I've got that group book for Yalom right. and it is. It's just beefy. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, <laughs> I mean, just literally the weight of that mm-hmm. book is significant. Mm-hmm. That I don't know if I've ever asked anybody to read it cover to cover. No, I just think that's just pinpoint a lot of those kind of books. So when they're more textbooky, I'm mm-hmm. more like, hey, chapter seven or right, right. look at this. Yeah. You know, it's bordering not- on child abuse to ask someone to read that <laughs> cover to cover. <laughs> Too much. Yeah, really. What about things like uh, Man's Search for Meaning? Did you- oh, yeah. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And so used to having everything in front of them right away that we forget that innovation just takes time. I, I, myself, I get frustrated too. Why? And you know, this is being one of my best friends is, Hey, I talk to you all the time. Hey man, I'm frustrated in the fact that I can't seem to just get there in Mm -hmm. the next day, but that's just not how these things work, right? Innovation needs to be planned out. It needs to be very methodical. And then when it finally hits, that's when it seems like to everyone else that it it sort of just came out of nowhere. But to you, you know the amount of dedication that it took over that time. And I like Scott Peck, the uh, Road Less Traveled. Mm -hmm. He did a second one that's like the road continues or something Mm -hmm, like that. mm -hmm. It's a really good, if you're reading it from the point of view as a therapist, like working with other therapists, it's a good, like finding yourself, what Mm -hmm. you're talking about with Terry Cotman. The more you find yourself, the more you're likely to be a good therapist. Yeah. Um, Trying to think about eating disorder books. Mm -hmm. I think sadly, there's just not a lot that I think are really great foundational books. Yeah. Maybe hopefully if we can take a positive spin on it, it's because new and better research is informing practice in a way that is different. Yeah, dates all the old mm-hmm. stuff that would have been out there. Something I absolutely do not keep on my reference list are all the eating disorder memoirs. Oh, yeah. 
Yucky. Right. Mm. I can't think of the one that does a really good job of explaining that most of those books are just yucky Mm how-tos. Right. And people dive into them and then end up with an eating disorder Mm -hmm. after the fact. Right. I think it's called Completely Disappearing. Oh, but it's written, it's a, a memoir. It's a, it's, a, it's a memoir. <laughs> right. And the majority of it is emphasizing most of these books are just mm-hmm. not, not productive. Right. Not that you can create an eating disorder by reading a book, but it certainly is not conducive to healing mm-hmm. an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. So a whole lot, I think those get recommended a lot mm-hmm. to clients or parents. And I think it sometimes gives you this really narrow view of an eating disorder. And that's just one example of one eating disorder, not the whole shebang. I think, you know, kind of jump off topic a little bit, but I think that happens a lot with pop culture stuff. Yes. When books get written about someone's experience and then a parent goes, oh, that's about cutting. And that person ended up committing suicide. And then they make this connection that's Mm -hmm. maybe weightier than their situation. Yeah. I think that can happen very often, or it's happened to me a few times with clients where they read something that's much more a memoir point of view. Mm -hmm. And then they take it on like their child or their spouse. This is them. Like it's not all of them might have similar things, but it could easily happen. Mm -hmm. A lot of those eating disorder books that I maybe would have said were foundational now have additions that start out with the intro chapter saying, this is a new version because (laughs) we found out this or we now know more. We understand more. (laughs) There is a book written by, I can't, I'm going to butcher her name. I do. I do say it the wrong way every time. But it's geared towards parents or Mm -hmm. clinicians Mm -hmm. of a younger child with an eating concern. I won't say an eating disorder, but maybe disordered eating Mm -hmm. or a feeding concern. And I think it's a great foundational book. And it talks about that a parent's role is to provide opportunities. Right. Right. And I think let's just generalize that to everything. Mm -hmm. Right. It's their job to provide all kinds of opportunities, Mm -hmm. but as well also with food. Right. Types of food, timing, amounts. Mm -hmm. And given the right opportunities, kids are going to, most kids are going to take the opportunity that they need. Right. Variety, amount, Mm -hmm. things like that. Heather, how do you apply this to this idea of using literature and counseling? How do you help build your supervisees bookshelves? I think it's important for them to know where I come from on foundation, like what mm-hmm. like you were talking about. You've weeded out the stuff that you didn't use as much mm-hmm. while encouraging them to do the same. But also that's back to encourage the ever most people that become a therapist understand you're never going to stop learning. Mm-hmm. And so it's about being current. So what is the latest thing that Dan Siegel put out? What is mm-hmm. the latest thing that yeah. and kind of staying up to date with? And then was it any different? Sometimes some of these books get just regurgitated with a different right, cover. Right. So it's important to do some maybe library research first to make sure it's been. Mm -hmm. I like that. So you're not necessarily, well, maybe you are sometimes, but you aren't always guiding them as to what they should put on their bookshelf, but you're Mm -hmm. encouraging them to be readers. Right. Right. Encouraging them to go figure out for them what Mm -hmm. works because they have to be able to, I mean, the whole point is to continue the. Yeah. How many supervisees have you had though, that are in a hurry to build their library and fill it up with everything? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I've had a couple. And I'll be honest with you, you can tell when a supervisee reads or not. Not even if I've recommended a book and then I'm like, ask a question, they just don't know. But more like you can tell if there's been in-depth thought about something. And I'm making maybe a big jump here, but generally speaking, readers have deeper thought. Yeah, that makes me think end of grad school, my doctorate program, Mm -hmm. I had enough in my head that a, a professor might bring up a topic or 
loosely reference something Mm -hmm. and I would go, oh, did you know so-and-so wrote a book on this type of place? And I would get sometimes a dirty look. (laughs) Like, oh, stop. Stop. Zip it. Right. Or, you know, they're referencing an idea that they had or something that they were interested. Oh, did did you know Larry Rubin wrote a book on play therapy and superheroes? Uh And they would go, oh. Right. Stop it. Well, I have a funny aside to that with grad school and being so much overread and everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My husband's grandmother loves to read and she just reads all sorts of like fun novels and romance novels and things like that. And she knew when I was in grad school, we were visiting for I don't know, maybe the holidays or something. And she knew how much that had been like reading all these clinical books. And she like handed me one of her like romance novels that literally must have been read a thousand times and the cover's like falling yeah, off of it yeah. and she's like you need to read this and I was like this is bizarre why are yeah. you handing me this like yeah. clearly romance novel book that's even more bizarre that you're handing it to me but it was because she was like you need Lighten something up. else for your brain your yeah. brain needs like fun your brain yeah. needs to like imagine whatever like she was very much on the like yeah relax read something oh. for fun do you think you actually gave me a book similar to this but I love to include things like that, like pop culture books Mm -hmm. and apply it then to like my vast, my depth of knowledge of Harry Potter is useful. Yes, it Um, is useful. And I don't, you didn't know that, but you gave me a book to read on grief Uh and applying Harry Potter characters. And that would be hard. Actually, I should have warned you on that. If you didn't know Harry Potter, that would not be a choice. Right. But it's generational too, right? Right. Because kids now, like 10, 11, 12 year olds, they don't know Harry Potter really. Right. But a college-age kid now knows Scoop Harry Potter. Scoop that up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I like to do that, too. I think that's applicable and a way to build a supervisee's bookshelf, too, depending on the kind of client they're working with. Right. So you might recommend some books. You encourage them to be readers. Something I've started doing, I think I mentioned it on the podcast, but I've really liked doing it this year so far. I'm When I meet with my supervisees as a group, I'm asking them to bring a new resource, each oh, yeah. one of them. Okay. And it it's been – it's fun because – They've come with so many different kinds Mm -hmm. of resources. I think somebody came with, hey, I just heard about this agency and they work with Medicaid and they'll see you. So that was a very useful resource. Yeah. Yeah. But other supervisees have come with a book Mm -hmm. or a reference tool. Somebody else came with, they're working with parents and kids that are younger and they came with a chart that uh, they've someone gave them, but they've been easily using with parents to help track behaviors. Ah. So it's not, I hear all the time, I don't know why they just did it. Right. And so it helps them to track. Okay. Right. You, there was a there reason. There was a trigger there. Right. But I love it when a supervisee will come with a book and say, I just started this book. So right. someone recommended it and it's been really useful mm-hmm. so far. So encouraging them to be a reader, introducing them to books or even just a chapter or two that they think might be useful. I think I do that a lot where I'm, I'll say, don't go buy it just yet. Let me send you chapter five. After you read chapter five, you decide if you want to go buy the whole thing. One that I, well, I guess I reference it relatively often is how to help your kids cope with divorce Mm -hmm. in the Sandcastle way. Right. Right. Yeah. Good reference. Mm -hmm. Not a parent friendly. No, it's like, it's Yeah. It's a clinician's Mm -hmm. manual, really. So I did, I had a supervisee that I suggested chapter four, (laughs) uh, because that's all you really need right Right. now. Right. But if you think it's useful and you want, you think you might use it with other clients down Mm -hmm. the road, but even then it's a hefty book. Right. And you might not use it all the time, but when you want it, you want it. Right. And there's so much stuff now that's online. That's an easy like grab. So that it is worth looking into before you decide to buy the whole book. Do I really, am I going to use this more than what I already see online? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Final question, kind of okay. off topic though. Are you a paper book person or are you okay with the digital version? I have tried to love digital. I'm such a paper book person. I have tried yeah. to love it. I really have. And I, and every once in a while, it's fine. Somebody will send me something or something yeah. like that. That's, but I like paper books. Yeah. I like to hold a book. I don't yeah. know. I'm just old. Just an age me. I think in my last year of my doctoral program, we just went to every single book we had was digital. Right. So you just, so I just had to right. get used to it. Mm-hmm. Every journal article is digital. Right. You know, all those things are digital now. So I got more comfortable with it. But I find that every book I read for my enjoyment, Needs I want to hold it. Right. Right. You want to connect with it that way. Mm-hmm. I also, in the last two years, have gotten into like audiobooks. Mm-hmm. And I have found that I do enjoy that. When it's something for fun, if it's something clinical, I don't want to listen to it. But if it's something fun, I can get into that while I fold laundry or whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, thanks today for listening to Supervision with a Vision. You've been listening to Supervision with a Vision. Head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Therapy Academy to join the conversation and get show notes. We'll be back next week with more Supervision with a Vision.